became aware of the power of conversation when I was a stay-at-home mom of three preschoolers. Friends would call, and I'd talk their ears off, desperate for adult communication. If I remember correctly, some of them quit calling. When the children became teenagers, I loved driving them wherever they needed to go, as when there was no eye contact, they were much more open and talkative, giving me an important view into their worlds. Too much of living, breathing, and being alone opened that window specifically with Agnes. When deep in the ugly grays of winter, I called her out of the blue to ask if she would simply phone me for just one week for five minutes just to ask me what I was doing for the day so I could talk to someone, hear another voice. Note, loneliness being one of our conversational themes over the last year to make my long story even longer, before long it was Agnes who suggested that our five-minute sound checks were actually interesting and going on for 20, 30 minutes, we would just take off. I firmly believe that conversation saves us. It heals and reveals. And now, as a boomer who doesn't have any interest in retiring, I am rejuvenated, replenished by conversation. I'm cognizant of the power and importance of both conversation and story. And Suleika, I appreciate always being able to exchange ideas, thoughts, and words with you. Well, one other thing. Whenever I mention that our podcast is called The Lost Art of Conversation, the response is always positive. There's always uh, an emotional response of, oh, great, that's a great idea. So going with that, let's go with it. Let's go. Welcome to the Two Boomer Women podcast. I'm Agnes Knowles. And I'm Mark Salika Oaks. You said that as so you had to think about it. <laughs> Today we have the second episode of Marvelous Monday with the story goddess, Marsulaika. And I'm hoping we can make this a series. Marsulaika, would you explain the theme of what we're planning for with the story goddess remembers? Well, it's all about it's all about what we leave behind in our lives and what I would like to leave behind in mine. Not that anything nefarious is on the books here but i think after a life lived you you do want to put things in little piles or boxes or gift wrap them or whatever it is that you do but for me stories are who i am well that sounds so pompous no it's about leaving things behind legacy if that's the word i never thought i'd be alone for decades after my husband died for example but here i am it's all about the choices too that we make right And so the choices that I made during that period of my life 30 years ago is where I am now. And that's a story and it weaves a story and it is part of how we get to where we are. I guess it's the completing of the puzzle of puzzle puzzle of what our lives are about. And when I think about great thinkers, I think of Goethe. Uh, one of the four architects of our English language, who said, we become who we are. And that tells me that we have a sense, we, we have a driven sense inside ourselves from youth, from young, from uh, teen years, from whenever it is, that we have an idea of what we're about. And uh, this is the culmination of it, I think, just the leaving of whatever that is behind for others to to look at see feel hear. I, I think that you probably have 
things to look back on that many of us can't identify with because of your career. You have dug into, talked about, written about, created the story around incidents big and small. I mean, always big to the people involved, I think, from what I've seen so far, and sometimes big on a global scale, as in what we're going to talk about today. And and that, I think, bears remembering. Well, the other thing, too, that I, I, this is where everybody has has not a part to play, but everybody does, everybody can, everybody is part of this, and that is reflection. Reflection is how we figure out and navigate how to move forward and how to look back and how to assess and how to process. One of the things about uh, the life that I led with uh, Peter was that the story goddess was actually born when we lived together in Greece, in Greece, the perfect place for a goddess to be born. And we joked about it. The story goddess, yeah, let's tell a story. But again, here I am. And I adopted that phrase and I've made it uh, part of my brand, if you will. I don't know if I really like that word, but that's what it is. But little bits of fluff, little bits of something in life lead us one step to another step to another. And we all have a story like that. It's about the reflection and what it means and what those puzzle pieces come up to. So my stories... And you're right, they are uh, global and not so global, but they're ones that mean something to me, whatever that means. Yeah, I like that idea, that just that they they mean something to you as much as at the time, the way you presented your story meant something to us as, as viewers, listeners, the general public. I'm going to jump right in here. Last week, you sent me your story concerning the Air India bombings in 1985. It was a tragedy of huge measure that I'm sure most of us who were adults then do remember. The story you sent me, however, is set in 1987. How does that time lapse become important? The time lapse is simply the time between the event, which was the crash, and the unfolding of events, which funnily enough is what I just said in the first question you asked. We were uh, about to air our documentary for the journal, which I believe was one of the first investigative examples of journalism to be censored by being eliminated. And almost no shows like that exist 29 years later after the journal. So in doing that story, Two years later, it took that long for all of the machinations between the bungling of the CSIS investigation, uncovering the bungling of the CSIS investigation, finding the one person who tipped us off to that bungling of, can I repeat that enough? (laughs) But there was a bit of magic to that story, which I don't think has ever been told, and I don't mind telling it here that uh, the mischievous, mysterious, and mystical things that happen in revelation, in reveal, and in reflection are not something you can plan, are not something you can schedule, no matter what caliber of investigative journalist you are. And the story to that is, after 
much digging and research and the time that goes into these 40 minute documentaries is enormous. And that time devoted to digging does not exist anymore. Or if it does, it's very rare to find these kinds of stories surfacing with all the kind of intent that it goes into digging. And I think we spent a good several months on this particular story to reveal. But we found a source who was able to tell us the secret of the story that there had been the erasing of the tapes by CSIS of the very people they were following. And it came up innocently enough. We were at the white spot on Georgia and we were having coffee and had been at days and weeks and months of going back and forth with this source sitting there and drinking coffee and listening to any clue or cue because everybody, everybody before the world of the internet was very careful. You find things blabbed all over the internet now that shouldn't be blabbed about. But in those days it was uh, cards close to your chest. And, uh, The source looked at Brian Stewart, who was the reporter in the case. I was only a researcher. I was not a producer. Said to both of us, well, you know, of course, that they erased the tapes. And we hadn't known. And we just looked and nodded our heads up and down and said, yes, of course we did. (laughs) And, of course, verifying that fact afterwards was our job. And we did. We did that. You you can't just say things like that anymore. You can't. You must verify, qualify, quantify what you say. And in libel cases, there are two particular points. It's either fair comment or true fact. And both of those points have to be covered when you're doing a story like this. But that little accident of, (laughs) of course we did, was the, the way the story was finally able to be told. I think now that you're talking about it, I I had forgotten that this did go on for so long that it almost makes sense that it, it kept on unfolding and then whatever came. Uh, everybody that listens these days knows that I, I have notes and, and I was going to talk about the fact that like two weeks ago you waited uh, six months to get that story and I'm I'm going to use air quotes around that word get so that nobody thinks that you are one of those storytellers who just jumps into the mayhem of tragedy to get the raw sensationalist footage we determined in the last episode that that exact is exactly what you don't do but but do you find that by by the passage of time whether it's 6 months or a couple of years the rawness settles and honest emotion comes out in in a story well i i don't know uh, do you want to finish another thought go ahead no no i was just sort of going to qualify the 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 honest sort of you know when something happens and then you take a deep breath so the deep breath is is that 6 month where you can then look at it and it doesn't lessen the tragedy but i think it does it lessen or mellow the immediate horror of something? Well, let me clarify two things. 
the first story on Burstall with the, the little town that uh, was grieving the loss of uh, a high proportion of their population uh, did have that reflection because of the the body of grief, grief itself embodies. But this, this particular act of terrorism uh, was an urgent need for people to understand. Like uh, one of the first stories I did about the, uh, with a very talented crew on the Clifford Olson killings in 1981. Um, there's an urgency. People want to know there is something that has to be found. And that was certainly the case here. And that's why the excellent crew that originated with the journal made this a priority. So there was an urgency there. But I, I think I know what you're getting at. It's uh, what is that about that gets to the heartbeat of something that is being told? And I, I, I can only quote Aristotle, my old buddy, uh, a quote in this story. And he says, the sole difference between imagining and imagination on one hand and remembering and memory on the other is the added element of time. And so you're quite right. With the time that lagged between understanding and the event, and it was two years, came a lot of confusion, uh, mayhem, disruption, antagonism. Uh, There was an upheaval in the culture, in the society, in the city. There's a lot of anti-Indo hate. And again... Without the blaring microphone of the internet, that's what made it particularly sharp. Because there was only one way to find out, and that was by yourself. By yourself, I mean listening to the news, and there was that's where you got the information, or that's where you newspapers, or but you didn't have it twenty four seven. There was no twenty four seven then. I, I guess as you as you spoke, the word hysteria came to mind. Where immediately after something, there is a, a level of hysteria by some people, whether that's a few people or half the globe. Um, but after time passes, the hysteria settles a bit. I'm going to just continue on. The story title is "The Sorry of Sorrow." Can you explain to us in, I use out loud words just because I'm hoping you're going to read the story as you did last week or two weeks ago, but the sorry, could you tell us about the beauty, the meaning of that sorry? I can. I still have part of it here. I think I mentioned that to you. I wore that sorry. I uh, used that sorry uh, as a, it's really one of the most feminine pieces of clothing you can wear as a woman. It really was a magic experience in the sense that a door opened of understanding about not just the Sari or the Sari shop or the woman running it, but it was a deepening experience of understanding, comprehending something that this woman knew by birth. She knew her culture inside and out, not as a scholar, but as someone who was able to take a sari and tell you the story of the sari because saris have a theme. There's usually 
usually a design and the theme and the story tells a story the way it's wrapped that but this particular sari was very plain very simple and to me it was uh, an exchange of my understanding the morning while she was going through the morning of life itself so it's interesting because that culture the Indian culture is thousands thousands of years old we you can't help but be touched by that and i'm not a scholar i don't pretend to be a scholar of of that culture just because i did a story on it and wrote a story on my website but for example when uh, the thousands of bodies were found floating in the ganges after covid because modi uh, made such terrible mistakes with covid that story that image that story that that information affected me i don't know the ganges i've never been there i haven't been to india i don't have that many indo canadian friends but it moved me because the ganges is a moving testament to the culture and i think that's what the sari to me represents in the story as i told it because the sari meant something in the culture to such a deep degree i hope i'm making sense mm-hmm. yeah absolutely one really obvious difference in your two stories so far has been the relationship with the primary I, I'm going to use the word protagonist. It may or may not be the right word. Your Burstall, Saskatchewan story was aided by Pastor Dr. Shane. 25 years later, he was the person you called for guidance, solace, when your mother was expected to die. And yet, the woman that you interviewed in the sari shop, you never knew and you never asked about her name what what's the difference in in that i think it's as simple as this met was of an act of terrorism and i i mentioned in my story that this act of terrorism was the worst since world war 2 before 9/11 it was enormous uh it's chilling it's chilling when you touch the bones of a story like that you know i can walk down a street and in the west end particularly and i'll pass somebody and without really understanding who they are or what it's about will just my eyes will just well up i can feel the anguish and if that is about a listening and being tuned in and perceptive that's part of why i did not want to know more about this woman this person who opened up so much because she did open up so much there was a respect there there was a an appreciation of an honoring of her and her story and her shop and her sari and that's probably partly why I have always kept it visible in my home I I just thought of that now you know why do we have the things we have in our home that are on display but that sari 
is a, a silent signal just to remind me that something of portent did occur at a period of time, in a period of time. Hmm. So it's interesting that coming into this chat today, I, I didn't know the answers to any of the questions that uh, I was going to ask you. And yet, as you explain them, things become really almost obvious. So, uh, so thank you for that. Now, as with two weeks ago, I'm hoping you're going to read your story. Before that, I've got one more question. Burstal, Saskatchewan, um, the, the tragedy there affected a tiny community, all, although it was in a big way. Uh, but the story probably didn't last long in general Canadian consciousness. Air India, on the other hand, was a global story. The outfall went on for years. I'm going to say what is, but maybe it's also, is there a difference in how you approach those stories as either the investigative reporter or the producer when when you're trying to get your story? Is there a difference between that small, intimate tragedy and the large global tragedy? I don't think there is a difference. I I don't think there is a difference because a story is a story is a story. Like what's that quote? A rose is a rose is a rose or a star is a star is a star. But there is something uh, that pops into my mind and it's Robert Redford's um, all the president's men and the 30th anniversary of that film has him as a commentator commenting on the events, the story as he remembers it 30 years after the fact. And in talking to you about uh, the difference between, you know, a small story in a small town versus a global story that affected worlds of people, Ireland, Narita, Vancouver, North America, India, the globalization of the world in the last 30 years seems to me to mean that global events can so easily be forgotten, mislaid, put aside, not taken seriously. I don't know how to explain it, but Robert Redford did it much better than I'm doing right now. He was startled that the events of this enormous revelation about the Nixon years is not being appreciated 30 years after the fact, when, in fact, many of the same instances occurred under the Oh, what's the presidency of 45? So that was interesting to me. And it's interesting to to me to think about the Air India crash story now, 30 years later, because we do have so many acts of terrorism. We have so many acts of terror taking place in our neighborhoods, in our world, across the streets. There's gangs killing people in Vancouver. And yet... Uh, what is it? We don't want to know. We don't care to know. We don't want to know the details. I don't know what it is. Yeah, history history does repeat itself. And I think part of it is because, and I've noticed it as I get older, I guess the people who are, the majority of the people who are out there, I don't know, creating the news. I don't know what the, it is. 
But when I hear, and I do hear it often now, way back in the 90s, and I'm thinking, what? Like, way back in the 90s, like that was, yeah, it was 30 years ago, which 25 years ago, whatever. Sounds like a long time ago. But, you know, if you want to go back 45 years ago, something similar happened or something like that. You know, so people only seem to have that 20 to 30 year memory. I, I don't know. Well, here's something else. And I, I think you and I have talked about it before. And it's this. This this idea that if you uh, dismantle statues that were put up for a particular historic reason, ripping them down, throwing them away, get rid of, getting rid of them will eliminate somehow the burn or the sorrow or the pain of whatever had happened in history is just so infantile. We need to keep those statues as a reminder of how far we have traveled in our cognizance of operating intelligently in this world. And people miss that point. And I don't know what that is, but I don't think it's a valuable thing to to keep in our mindset. John A. MacDonald built this railroad in this country that linked this country. Why his statues are being dismantled because of whatever he did that somebody else said, oh, yeah, but he wasn't a really good guy. It's bullshit. It's history. Leave history alone. Let history stand for itself. Yeah, and, and, you know, on, on that theme, and I'm going to come back to your story immediately, but on that theme, um, I, I think to, to have a statue to say, okay, you know, he did this, this, and this, it's also okay to say he also did that, that, and that, and, and that is, whether it's unconscionable or just, you know, whatever those words are that portray the dark side of history. As you say, that's how we remember the dark side of history and hopefully would not make those mistakes again. That's so good. That's so exactly what what has to be remembered. What isn't black and white? What isn't up and down? Everything. There's a yes and a no to all things. There's an up and a down uh, there's a brightness and a shallow. There's a dark and a light in everything, in life itself, everything. And when we try to disnify the world with everything is cheery and, oh, yeah, it's just wrong. It's not true. It's not accurate. And being a full, fully managing, thinking human being that can weigh the good and the bad, the light and the dark, the up and the down, the yes and the no, the black and the white is part of being a grown up. Okay, let's come back to Air India. Would you read us your story, please? I'm very, very happy to read my story. I am thrilled that uh, you're interested in in uh, having it as part of your show. Our I think- show. You're still part of this. I hate to break it to you. <laughs> oh, that. Okay. I'd be happy to read the story. Good. No. Can I change that? Happy to read the story. Um, It would please me very much to be able to share the story that I know. Good. So here goes. The 
cloth is pure silk, a deep turquoise, diaphanous and mysterious. The sublime undulating shadows capture both light and dark. Every sari tells a story, and that story has a theme. The story here is the one solid gold continuous thread along the border. It both testifies and belies tragedy and senseless loss of hundreds of lives. One thread as if teasing or bullying the person wearing it to figure it out, figure out the story, figure out that theme. The design as ancient as the 5,000 years the oldest garment worn by a man has been worn is truly a phantom thread. The sari is timeless. This conjecture doesn't matter. Thirty-four years after this sari was given to me, I think I know what that continuous phantom thread is about. I think the woman who gave me the sari from her shop on 49th and Main Street in Vancouver in 1987 was a shaman or perhaps a Vedic angel watching and knowing the power of that story, that theme, that sari, that thread. She knew and she told me. That's why she gave me that sari. That sari embracing that story now drapes elegantly in a hallway in my home, in a hall of my own ancients. This reflection about the Air India bombing, June 23rd, 1985, is more than my part as a television researcher forcing the Canadian government to re-examine that case because CSIS had erroneously and criminally erased the very tape recordings of the terrorists they were following. My reflection of the many people I talked to about the India crash has more to do with Aristotle's memoria, memory, the imagining qualified by time. James Hillman said it best in The Force of Character, the sole difference between imagining and imagination on one hand and remembering and memory on the other is the added element of time. To remember... A suitcase belonging to Mr. L. Singh during a baggage transfer from a Canadian Pacific flight from Vancouver exploded in Narita, Japan, and 55 minutes later off the coast of Ireland, another bomb exploded in the hold on a flight from Toronto and Montreal. A Mr. M. Singh had persuaded officials to accept his bag on a flight from Vancouver to transfer to Air India in Toronto. Neither bag on either flight were carried on by the passengers who brought them. That's how Clark Blaze and Barsi Mukherjee describe the bones of the story in their book, The Sorrow and the Terror. The single most heinous act of terrorism since World War II before 9-11 killed a total of 331 passengers, crew, and baggage handlers with those two bombs. Back to the woman in Vancouver, her shop and the sari that united us all were pure kismet. She was a friend of my so quiet and refined producer friend, who I knew from New Delhi, who had worked with me in television. He felt betrayed and ambushed and horrified by these killings, zealots of Amritsar making their political point. These same people who lived in the freedom that Canada provides, who chose to fight their battles long distance in the freedom that Canada provided. In honor of memoria, I am going to say this out loud. Canada has no Girl Guide stamp of approval when it comes 
to the Bakshish invested over the decades, the Air India trial came, went, and ended, with not one of these two men charged with mass murder held accountable. Within an hour of that twenty-year investigation and trial, costing millions of dollars, both Bagri and Malik walked out of the courtroom into the arms of family. The woman I met who owned the shop, whose name I never knew because I never asked, was grateful to be heard. There was a lot of hate and confusion towards Indo-Canadians at that time, but in speaking about her home, her India, I realized that one-on-one people are just people. It's just when they get into gangs that problems arise, and a gang can be just more than one person. It didn't help me to understand the carnage that happened, but the humanity of her words did guide my heart to stay open. There was no internet, no celebrity culture of invading lunkheads dominating the social scene at the time, no catatonic airheads on anything like Fox News, only a telephone, a decision to meet, and a knock on the door gave you access to a story, to the heartbeat of words. That's how stories were done when I was a journalist. You were forced to deal with people one-on-one, face-to-face, and it worked. What do I want to say about the story that still haunts me when we have been collectively haunted by so many acts of terrorism over three decades? Amritsar comes from Sanskrit, the oldest surviving literature in all the world, in all the history of man. The word means immortal. I used to wear that sari to parties. It was the most feminine of garments I've ever owned. Some clever wag once said to me, you look like page 572 of the Kama Sutra. I found out that there is no page 572 in Alan Danilu's version of the Kama Sutra, which I owned. Over the years of traveling, it just plain wore out. Parts of the nine yards of cloth simply disintegrated. Somehow the front of the palu caught on fire. That's the graceful gathering in front of a body that folds down below the belly button with the remainder draped over the shoulder across the chest. Perhaps it is that simple. The symbol of immortal that hangs in my hallway being immortal itself. I find it amazing uh, and wonderful that all all these years later you still have a piece of that sorry. I'm going to just mention to listeners that you have a picture of the fabric on your website along with the written copy of your story. That link will be in the show notes, of course. But it's it's hard to say much after that story. It's really affecting um, on, on the global level and that personal level because you capture both. Thank you. Given the fact that it's not often that I become speechless, (laughs) I'm I'm going to go back a little bit and just answer a question I asked you about the difference between the very small, globally speaking, tragedy in Bristol and the global tragedy that was Air India is... You're not one to blow your own horn, but as I listened both 
two weeks ago and to you speaking today, I, I'm really aware of the fact that what matters to you is the heart of a story, not the benefit of the story to your career. I think a lot of people, and, and over the years, you and I have talked about the difference between a story presented then and a story presented now. So often, too many reporters, producers, whatever, would go for the big story, forget the little one, because the big story can advance their career. And I, I hear that that was not part of your agenda. Well, to put some levity into the situation, <laughs> <laughs> to appreciate your comment very much. Uh, <laughs> I am in no way famous, well-known. You won't find very much about me on Google. I don't have the career that is uh, spellbinding and famous and celebrity conscious. Uh, maybe because of that. But again, I have to hearken to a simplicity about life itself. And that is, for whatever reasons, you choose what you choose. And that's how I chose choose to do things. Um, that heartbeat is is something that is important to me in relationship and in events. So, yes, you tap that correctly. <laughs> okay, and if we're going to stay a little bit... Levitorious? What's the word? <laughs> oh, why do I get to interview the story goddess, the word smith? Okay, when people want to go and see all of the other things that you create, or to read some of the things that you have created, where do they find you? Well, you'll be happy to know, dear Paul, <laughs> that I almost have it memorized. My website, I, I, I never think of it. It's you created that. Uh, so my website is uh, www. No, no, it's not. It's https colon two slashes <laughs> the story. Okay, Skype is breaking up. So just to repeat, it's the story ca. So as you've just divulged, I am on your website often. So I really can encourage our listeners to click over and browse around. Listeners, feel free to share this episode. Feel free to leave copious numbers of stars. It does help us grow. Leave comments on this story uh, wherever you listen to podcasts. You know, it's it's incredible food for thought, this series of Story Goddess Remembers. So I'm hoping we do get comments. Um, you can also go to the website, our website, twoboomerwomen.com, forward slash join dash the dash conversation and leave your comments there. Marsulaika, thank you again for fitting the Story Goddess Remembers episodes into your busy schedule uh, that's why you're on sabbatical right now is because you do have a lot on your plate uh, it's such a treat for me to have the other original boomer women back on podcast even if it is just twice a month 
Well, I have to tell you, it's a treat for me to be answering the questions instead of posing them. So I, I appreciate the work that you do and the interviewing that you do. The questions are good, solid questions that I love to answer. Oh, well, that's good. <laughs> okay. So hopefully we'll speak again in two weeks. Indeed we will. Okay. Have a good rest of week. Bye.